Arguably, the mitzvah shofar is probably okay, one of the most difficult mitzvahs to perform because there's really nothing palpable, there's nothing tangible. It's a very abstract sound. And if while you're hearing the sound, you're thinking about a thousand other things. I'm not going to say you're not yotzi the mitzvah, according to some shittas you're not, but certainly you're, you're nowhere near. Nowhere near. If you take a lulav, there's something tangible, there's an anchor, there's a piece of masa that rivets your attention, so you're there. You know what you're eating, you know what you're holding, you know where you're sitting. So how deep your kavanas are will only determine how profound the mitzvah is. But if you're listening to a voice with your ear and then all of a sudden your mind is thinking about a thousand other things, it's hard to imagine you really owe that much of the mitzvah. It's a very, very difficult mitzvah. And that's why they're psukim, to try to help amplify some of the subtle themes of the mitzvah. And in fact, according to Rashi, the psukim of Malchiel, Zechonas, and Shafar is actually deraisa. There's a mitzvah deraisa. Very strange. Most of tefillah, the liturgy is the Rabbanan. Point to Rashi saying these psukim on Yamtif is actually Deoraisa. Does anyone not have three, two sheets? Okay. Not have two sheets. Um, I want to read through these psukim with you and try to highlight some of the basic themes so that when you daven them in Rosh Hashanah, you'll have a sense of what are the patterns. These are not the only themes of the Shofar, but these are the primary ones. So please, please listen carefully. Please. This is, people have told me this is a shear that's changed their davening in Rosh Hashanah. Okay. As I mentioned, three sections. Okay, anyone not have? Okay, maybe I'll ask. Stand by the door. Comes in like this. Three sections. Section number one: Malchus Yisrael. Section number two: Monarchy, sovereignty, king, coronation. Section number two: Zikronos, memories. Just giving very basic English words for you. Section number three, which seems almost the most difficult to explain, shofar. So, what is it adding? Of course, it's the shofar. Let's go through each one. Very, very carefully, very, very deliberately. The first theme is not equal, but more significant, more primary than some of the other themes. Although it's a day of Malchus, Yosef, and Shavos, it's clearly the day of Malchus. In Lubavitch, for example, Lubavitch was very fond of creating nicknames for every Yom Tov and even every night as opposed to every day. I gave it separate names just so you should be able to segment Yom Tov rather than treating it as one big block. So for Lubavitchers, the night of Rosh Hashanah is called Leil Hachtara, the night of coronation. The night would begin to say Melach when Hashem's Malchus is felt more palpably than it is the rest of the year. The night of coronation, when you say that first Melach, ah, yeah, 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 you're waiting to say the first Baruch Hashem, Amariva Ravim, Mimam Lecha Baruch Let's try to get our, sink our teeth into it, because in many ways, uh, that word to you means nothing. We don't really, you've never met a king with real authority. It sounds archaic, it sounds anachronistic, what does it mean he's our king? And all the ways we see the Rabbonah show, sometimes that's the most difficult to really absorb and internalize. So we begin Malchus, as we begin every section, with a poetic preface and a poetic suffix, around which the Psukim are oriented, Psukim in the middle, introduction, suffix. The preface, the, the pretext, or the preface to the Psukim of Malchus is nothing more than Aleinu. Aleinu l'shabach l'anakal, v'yalkein nekavelach Hashem alokeinu, our mission in this world is to spread the recognition of a Kurdish Baruch spread monotheism, to spread morality, moral awareness. And it's a frustrating journey through history because no one has really accepted or they haven't fully accepted. And we are not just in the minority, but we're tormented and persecuted for being in the minority. But one day a year, God's Malchus is felt inevitably, whether people want it or not, because everyone's being judged. So all of a sudden, it's like you've been waiting your entire life, that's your mission, try to build awareness of a Kaddish Baruch in our world, and it's denied, and it's rejected, and it's scoffed, and it's ignored, but one day it's happening where the people are like, this is the day, and no one's aware of it, except for us. And that's why you'll see one of the important dynamics of the day is the interface between the universalism of the day and the parochialism of the day. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the introduction is, let's just read the introduction of Malchios, V'alkeinu, Kabelacha, Hashem, Elokeinu, Liros, Meher, Abitiferes, Yuzecha, L'avirginu, Liminaris, L'sakeinu, Olam, Malchoshadai, that's what we live for, and that's sometimes what we die for. And then, the first Pasuk, there are five different varieties of Psyche Malchios, and hopefully by describing them to you, you'll appreciate what Malchus is. The first category within these ten only has one Pasuk. And that's one naked, unadorned, simple, unmodified puzzle that just states Hashem's Malchus. Adonai Yimloch Leolam Foed. No explanation, no timestamp, no framework. Hashem Yimloch Leolam Foed. The first time that a community accepted Hashem's Malchus in history, 2,500 years into history, 
men have wasted two and a half millennia looking for God in planets and forests and trees and rivers. And finally, at the Yamsuf, because they weren't mature enough to say it in Mitzrayim, they were still making their way out of that cesspool and confusion of paganism. Finally, at the Yamsuf, they saw it. It's a beautiful medrash. Moshe effectively turns to Kodesh Baruch and says, why do you love these people so much? They betray you. They disobey you. They are obstinate. They're intransigent. And Hashem says, they're the first people who accepted my malchus. And I'll never forget them saying, Adonayim lauch li'olam v'ayad. Matt, please take treats. I'll never forget that. Hashem lauch li'olam v'ayad. I want you to listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. Think of religious consciousness as a timeline. Full religious consciousness is made up of three points in a spectrum. Please listen carefully. Tesvab Nisan, we become a people, peoplehood. When we are emancipated from Egypt. Seven days later, Chaf Aleph, we stand at the Yamsuf and we accept Hashem's Malchus. Six weeks later, Vav Sivan, we accept Torah and ritual. Full religious consciousness incorporates all those three points in the timeline. A sense of peoplehood, Tesvav Nisan, a sense of Hashem as our sovereign, Chafalaf Nisan, and a sense of Torah and ritual, Vav Sivan. And I hope every one of you will continue to live a life that incorporates and encompasses all three. Peoplehood, accepting Hashem as a sovereign, and full ritual and Torah commitment. But there's a lot of slippage in history. A lot of Jews slip back on the timeline. There's a backwash. But the slip isn't all or nothing. There are partial slips. And even if people slip partially, you should still ratify and recognize what they do possess. So, for example, there are a lot of Jews who aren't dati in the classic sense. And don't keep mitzvahs and don't study Torah. They've slipped away from Vav Sivan. But they still have that sense of Hashem as their monarch in Melech. The average Chiloni Jew, certainly in Israel, Certainly if he's Svarti. The average Chiloni Jew will say, Hashem's my Melech, Hashem's my King. What does that mean? Do you keep Shabbos? What does Hashem care if I keep Shabbos? Do you keep Halacha? What does Hashem care? Hashem's my Melech. I go to war. He's there for me. Hashem Mishmil Chama, Hashem Shemof. When they fought the war in Gaza five, six years ago, they ordered 60,000 pairs of tzitzis to the front. Not for people who had tzitzis. Soldiers who didn't have them, knowing that this was a war that Hashem was fighting with them, and they wanted to go into battle with Hashem's uh, you know, bulletproof vest on. So they were at You're going to meet these people this year. You've met them already. The taxi cab driver, the bus driver, the shawarma stand guy, who can quote Tanakh, who believes in Hashem very deeply. You know, he's not classically dati, he doesn't have tzitzit on, he doesn't wear tzvillin. He slipped away from Vav Sivan, but he's still at the Yamsuf, retaining that sense of Hashem Yimloch Li'olam Vod. And then unfortunately there are people that slip even further back, that have lost the sense of belief in God or belief in a Kodesh Baruch authority, but they still have maintained that sense of what happened at Tetvav Nisan. We became a people with a unique calling, a message to humanity, morality, value. Some Jews have slipped entirely off the grid. If you slipped beyond or be, you know, before Tetvav Nisan, then you slipped off the grid. You have no sense of ritual religion. No sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a sovereign. No sense of a unique calling as a Jewish person is what makes you a Jew. So genetically you're still a Jew, but that sense of common community has totally been lost. So our prayer is to raise ourselves and our children and our communities to be complete Jews. We also have to learn not to, not to be satisfied with, but to ratify and do a credit when people have partial credit, so to speak. And that's what's happening when we say the Pasuk Hashem Yimlach Li'olam Take yourself back to the Yamsuf to the people's first voice, Hashem Yimlach Li'olam Vayed, that voice that for so many people is their max right now, that's all they can reach. They're unable to advance to Harsinai, as you are and we are, but that's still something that Hashem relishes, and Hashem loves them for. And that's the first Pasuk of Malchus, when a nation stood at the sea. It was very, very visceral, it was very instinctive, they, they didn't have a sophisticated sense of Hashem's Malchus, they just saw that they were saved, they saw the Egyptians were killed. Hashem Yimlach Li'olam Vayed. Okay, we'll do this after. Yes, let me have the sheet or everything assigned. That's to come later. The second category of Malchus takes us back to the last time in history that the Rabbanu Shalom's sovereignty was undisputed and uncontested. What was the last time in history that a Kurdish Baruch Hu's sovereignty was uncontested? No. <laughs> be more imaginative. The last time in history 
before man's first disobedience. Before man first rebelled, namely the first minute of creation was the last time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's sovereignty was uncontested, which we say every morning. Adon Olam, Asher Malach, B'terem Kol Yitzir Nevra. Hashem was the Malach before anyone was created. Once man was created and given free will and he rebelled, that led, that initiated the history of this great struggle to reconstitute Hashem's undisputed Malchus. So we say it every morning, and at the end, beginning of davening Adon Olam, and Elenu is a structural parallel. Adon Olam takes us back to Maisei Bereshis. Elenu is foreshadowing that one day of the Sakin Olam and Malchus the endpoints of history. So in the Pesukim of Malchios, one Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the world's creation. We're returning to that day that happened 5,774 years ago, 73 years ago, the world was bristling with Hashem's undisputed malchus. And then, of course, man was created, disobeyed, and the whole thing went south. So there are two psukim in Malchios that are direct references to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's cosmic authority on those moments of Riyas Olam. One is, if you take a look at Pasuk 5, Hashem Malach Geus Lavesh, Hashem was the king and he wore robes of, of, of gallantry, of, of sovereignty. Lavesh Hashem owes his hazar, Aftikon Tevel, he fashioned the world, Baltimo, so that it would never disintegrate, it would never be dismantled. That's a Pasuk describing Lysabratius. Another Pasuk describing Lysabratius, which is a very, very popular Pasuk in Rosh Hashanah, it's said at night, not just during the day, Pasuk number 6, Seusharim Rashechem, the gates of heaven should open, cosmic. Kodesh Baruch Hu's cosmic role. It's a day of cosmos, not just a day of terrestrial experience. And Kippur isn't that cosmic. Rosh Hashanah is cosmic because Rosh Hashanah is a day where the entire cosmos, the entire universe is being refashioned. You're going to wake up next Monday and everything will look the same, the trees, the waterfall, the hills, but every single part of this creation will have been refreshed and reconstituted because Hashem creates the world anew. That's a reassertion of sovereignty. So the second category is returning to that last moment when every day was Rosh Hashanah. The first Rosh Hashanah was meant to be every day, but then we failed, man wandered, man veered, and Malchus and retention and reacquisition of Malchus has been our mission. And then the third category is the other bookend, not just returning to the last time HaKadosh Baruch Hu's authority was uncontested, but the next time HaKadosh Baruch Hu's authority will be uncontested. So these are the psukim that speak of Hashem's malchus when Mashiach will come. So if you take a look at Pasuk number 8 and 9, very famous psukim, psukim you all have read. So we're setting up Rosh Hashanah's role in a broader historical fabric. It's not just a pocket day in a vacuum, but it's the day we work for. It's the day that was meant to characterize creation. It's the day that ultimately will close this six and a half thousand year thing called history. It will close history. That's the terminus. A Jew believes that history is terminal. It's not just aimless. There's a terminus. There's an endpoint that we're voyaging towards, that we're crusading on behalf of. Rosh Hashanah is that one moment, almost frozen in time, where we live the reality we dream of, where we are able to sense and people consciously or unconsciously, have that sense of Hashem's malas. Those are the first three categories. Category one, straight, unadorned malchus. Adonayim lachli olam v'ed. Category number two, malchus of my sabrashis. Hashem malach ve'us. Se'u sharem ha'shechem v'inasur pischei olam. Category number three, Hashem's malchus in the end of days. V'alu moshiim v'ayashem l'melech. Category number four is probably the most important one. As I alluded to it earlier. It's cosmic. It's universal. It's international. Every single individual is passing by silently, being judged in front of our Kaddish Baruch Hu. The angels are trembling in heaven, as we say during the Tanya Toketh. And they're shaking. The day of judgment is called man, angel, planet, every iota of material in this cosmos is being addressed. Judge, obviously those who are free will aren't judged, but refreshed. But, despite its universal tone, its universal flavor, there's one nation that actually knows it's Rosh Hashanah. And not only knows it's Rosh Hashanah, but the irony of ironies actually makes it Rosh Hashanah. The Rav would always quote this beautiful medrash that basically says that Ashkodesh Baruch Hu, the Malachim are like 
hobnobbing in heaven, saying, when is Rosh Hashanah going to start? And they come over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, when is it going to start already? Hashem says, well, we have to wait for the Jews to decide when Aleph Tishrei is down below in their Sanhedrin. Remember, there it was rat-tat-tat. The second that they saw the moon, it was already Rosh Hashanah. It's not like you had a 15-day offset or a 6-day offset. The second they said, oh, new moon, boom, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's the first day. That's why all the confusion, one day, two days. And for the Rav, that was not just technical, practical, we have to wait, but that was symbolic. That a day of such gravitas, of such international flair, of such cosmic importance, and that's the passage we're going to recite right when Rosh Hashanah begins. One of the hallmark sukkim of Rosh Hashanah, Tik'u b'chodesh shofar, chagenu. It's a day of kesef, kisei kavod. It's a day of universalism. But how does the passage again? Kichok li'israel hu nishpat l'lokeh yakov. Because it's a special chag for the Jewish people, because we turn it. We're the only people who are active and we machabal Hashem's malchus. So it can't be a day of malchus without people accepting Hashem's malchus. So despite the potential of the day, despite the cosmic nature of the day, it takes Jewish people to convert it into Rosh Hashanah. And these are the psukim that fall into the fourth category, psukim that don't speak of Hashem's malchus universally but of his special relationship with our people as our Melech and our Redeemer. So here there are three psukkins. Pasuk number two. This is obviously Bilam speaking. Lohibit oven biyakov. Lo ra'a mal Yisrael. Hashem elokav imo. Utruas melech bo. Melech. We have the sounds of a king, the horns of a king. V'nemar, source number three. Pasuk in v'zeo sabracha. V'hibishur and melech. V'sasef rashayam. Yachad Shifte Yisrael, when the Melech resides with Yeshurun. Yeshurun is a nickname for, Jew, for Jews. Yisrael, Yeshurun. There are four or five nicknames by which the Jews are called, and you'll see they're all factoring into our tefillos. When you love someone, you give him a nickname. Your younger brother, your girlfriend, you, you give him a nickname. Like Yeshurun Melech. Yeshurun is one of the nicknames that Hashem shows us how much he loves us. We're Yeshurun, we're not Yisrael. And then the Pasuk, source number seven, from Yirmiya, Kalmar Hashem, Melech Yisrael Vigolo. And the notion of a redeemer creeps in, not just the king of the Jewish people, the redeemer. Hashem Tzvakos Ani Rishon, remember, beginning, Ani Acharon, and Baladai, exclusively. So this is a very, very important transition and underwrites a lot of what we say in Rosh Hashanah. For example, one of the Pesukim will recite before, or right after the Shofar, okay, Ashrei Ha'am Yodei Surua. Can anyone finish the Pasuk? Ashrei Ha'am Yodei Surua. Fortunate are those that know what's going on, that have a sense of the depth of this day and participate in the day rather than being oblivious to it. And there's a sense of pride and a sense of mission that we're davening for an entire world. How much suffering was there in the world this year? And those people who may be victims of suffering or of injustice next year don't know to daven, so you're davening for them also. You're not just davening for yourself, you're davening for Amiso, you're davening for no longer should be innocent lives taken. So it's a privilege, it's also a responsibility. Everything Judaism is responsibility. You don't just get privileged to luxuriate and to indulge in privilege. Responsibility. So Ashraham Yodei Surat, it's a special day for the Jewish people. Despite and because of. And if you don't get the international and cosmic sense of it, then it's a day that's very lame and very empty. But once you get the full substance of the day, and yet it's a day that Hashem targets for us, I'll talk about this later as well, but all of a sudden it becomes a very resonant experience. The interplay between universalism and nationalism is extremely important in Rosh Hashanah. And it doesn't exist in Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day only for Jews. There's no outside lateral meaning in Yom Kippur beyond the Jewish experience. Not so with Rosh Hashanah. So we've talked about four categories. Category number one, straight malchus. Category two, sheishis and mebreishis. Category three, achris hayamim. Category four, personal malchus of our people. Category five has one pasuk. It's not even a category, but it's probably the most important pasuk. The last pasuk. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Lekeinu, Hashem, Nafad. It's machlokis in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. Whether Shema Yisrael can be a pasuk of malchus. Rabbi Yossi says yes. Rabbi Yehuda said no. We pasuk like Rabbi Yossi, and hence we include it. But can anyone tell me why Rabbi Yehuda objected to Shema Yisrael being a pasuk of Malchus? Doesn't have the word Malach. Very good. Now, I want everyone to look at the back door, either actually or figuratively. Does anyone doubt that if Rabbi Yehuda would walk through that door right now, not 2,000 years ago when he had his big debate with Rabbi Yossi, if Rabbi Yehuda walked through that door right now, 2012, Tashanai and Gimel, Erev Tashanai and Gimel, does anyone have a doubt in his mind that if Yudah wouldn't just concede that Shema is the Pasuk of Malchus? It's the Pasuk of Malchus. 
How many millions of Jews have gone to their death shouting this Pasuk? How much martyrdom, how much heroism, how much blood, how much faith has that Pasuk come to represent? You're right, 2,000 years ago, it was a Pasuk. It had nothing to do with Kiddush Hashem. Who's the first person to say that Pasuk on Kiddush Hashem? Yekiva. First person, the Gemara Brachos. Rabbi Kiva turned that Pesach into an anthem of Kiddush Hashem, an anthem of Malchus, like we're telling Hashem, you have your Pesach of Malchus, we have our own Pesach of Malchus, we don't need your Pesach of Malchus, Hashem, because we have had such faith and such commitment and such... When I, when I say this Pesach in Rosh Hashem, I tremble. I tremble. I think about all the Jews who said that Pesach in different contexts and how they accepted Malchus with their lives. And I'm privileged to be their offspring and their progeny and their descendants, and their spiritual descendants. Every year, Arab Rosh Hashanah, as I will this Hashem, I go to the Beis HaKvaros, as is the Minog, and I visit my Alta Zedin, and I visit my Zedin, and I visit my Babi, and I visit a Talmud of mine who died in a, in a Pigua. And then I stand in front of this Dutch family who were killed in a terror incident in Sabaro's Pizza Shop. Family of Dutch immigrants, the mother, the father, and three out of five little children were killed. You stand by their graves. I never met them, but I go every year, and you lose your soul. It's like you, you lose your solar plexus. A friend of mine had his teenage daughter of his caught in that bombing, 14, 15 years old, and he was sitting with her in the hospital Friday night. The bombing took place Thursday mid-afternoon. She was recovering. She kept asking, Abba, Abba, what happened to that family? What happened to that family? He said, why do you need to know? I don't want to tell. He didn't want to tell his daughter that the three out of five people died. He kept saying, Abba, I need to know. I need to know. Why? Why do you need to know? He keeps asking his daughter. She says, Abba, because I was lying in the pizza shop. I saw a little boy next to me dying and bleeding. And I heard him call out to his father, Abba. Abba, I need your help. Please help me, Abba. And I heard the father say, I can't help you. I'm in flames. I can't help you. But please, he told his little three-year-old kid, Take your hand, reach it as far as you can, hold my hand together, and let's say Shema together. Let's go to Shemaim, Bikidusha of Let's go to the next world together, Bikidusha. Let's say Shema. That's how I want to know what happens. Every year I feel it's my responsibility to stand in front of those graves for a minute and say a parakaf tehillim. And think about them, modern day Rabbi Akiva saying Shema. When I say Shema, I think of Rabbi Huda. I think of Rabbi Huda, who maybe 2,000 years ago at his point of history could argue, Shmoli, where's the word Melech? You're absolutely right, 2,000 years ago. Not so today. Today, it's not just a Pasuk of Malchus. It's the, we have made it. That's been our anthem. That's been our code of honor. It's been our badge of honor. Pasuk of Malchus. And those are the five slants of Malchus. Straight Malchus. Maisebracious Malchus. Achrisayam Malchus. Parochial National Malchus. And historical Malchus. We made it into Malchus. And when you hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and particularly during Shmon Esrei, after reciting these psukim, you should be thinking about the sound of the shofar as a coronation of a king. A coronation that took place 5,773 years ago, and has since disintegrated, and disintegrated cosmically, but at least in terms of people's awareness and consciousness. What should we labor for? What should we have died for? What should we live for? And that's what we hope to establish. Baruch Hashem, I know my minag is, the night of Yosh Hashanah, when I say the word Malach, I say it really loud with a lot of kavana. My kids know when it's Kiddush time, I say, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu, Melech, Olam, Borei, Prihagafen. It's a sense of, that's the dominant theme of the day. It's obviously more central than Zichronos and Shafas. Okay, second section, Zichronos. Very, very interesting transition. Very interesting. In order to assess and to appreciate the transition, you have to understand the preface really well. Okay, and the, the suffix of Malthus, by the way, is just a lakeno lakeab. I'll say, you know, more or less, the standard bracha we recite every yamta, slightly adapted to Rosh Hashanah. Because Malthus is so central, it becomes part of the bracha of Rosh Hashanah. Baruch Hashem, look at the ending of the bracha after Malchus, Mekadesh Yisrael Zikaron. The ending doesn't even say the word Melech. Melech al-Kolar is Mekadesh Yisrael. Malchus is so hot-wired into the day that the closing bracha of Malchus is effectively the closing bracha of the day, Mekadesh Yisrael V'yom HaZikaron. As opposed to the closing bracha of Zechronos and Shofaris, which will be a bracha that will talk more directly about Zechira and more directly about Shofaris. The preface to Zechronos is scary. It's terrifying if you read it. It's meant to be terrifying because unless you sense the terror, you won't appreciate what Zechronos is trying to accomplish. So let's read it together. 
classic theory, fearful imagery of Yom Hadin. More or less parallel to an Asana Tokef, where we talk about how scary it is, the Malachim are trembling, everyone passes by, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a, a, a judge, and a witness, and a scribe, and a henchman, and executioner, Rosh Hashanah Yikatevu, Yom Sam Kippur Yechaseimu, Mi Yechiem, Mi Yamos, and that part that we all know. Same type of idea. Atazacher Maseh Olam, you remember everything. Lefanacha Niglu Kol Talumos, even hidden and concealed things to you are transparent. Line number four. You see everything. You see the end of days. Line number six. This is how you order the day. This is how you structure the day. Again, gravitas. Heavy. Faithful. Dire consequences. We're not playing around. This is serious. And it's serious at a personal level. It's also serious at a collective level. Take a look at line number eight. The Al Hamidinos Bo the next paragraph. Hashem isn't just judging individuals, Hashem is judging collective people. When I'm looking at you now, so I'm looking at I don't know, Daniel and Jonathan, when I'm looking at some people, I'm saying are they listening to them, but also looking at you as a collective. There are, you know, forty five, fifty boys in the room, are they listening to the share? Are they not? And it's just judging you collectively. Hashem judges the same way. He judges you as an individual, your family, the Shiva you're part of, the people you're part of, and sometimes you suffer based on that judgment, right? When Hashem takes a carbon, you can't say that Hashem took that carbon because he deserved it. Say there's a terror incident or war or something like that or an accident and someone dies. And I say, oh, he deserved it. For whatever reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to take a carbon and you were selected to be that carbon. So, this is not just a general, vague and distant sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu judge. You're, not, you're a Jewish person. You're living in the land of Israel. You're part of history. You're part of... So your fate is tethered to larger equations. It's not just Hashem looking at you. We want it to be, trust me, it's better that Hashem should look at you that way. <laughs> trust me, that's a million times better than He should look at you with a spotlight on me. That, that would be very, very bad. I'll take my chances if Hashem looks at me as part of Amisol. If He's looking at me, uh, I wouldn't bet on I wouldn't bet the rent from what my judgment would come out like if He's looking at me. I want Him to look at me as part of a larger whole. And certainly when you say this this year, think about it very carefully. You could be in the firing line. You could be part of a major, major struggle in the course of the Israeli state and Jewish history. This is a major, major moment in the state of Israel's history. Hopefully in advance of the Shem will go as planned and whatever will happen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will protect us. Where will war break out? Where will peace reign? It's not so simple. We thought that capitalism had defeated hunger. We're starting to realize it's not so simple. The system is pretty fragile. It's a house of cards. One uh, bad year in the stock market and one bad year in the farms in Iowa and rises in the price of oil, which makes wheat so expensive and you can't transport it. All of a sudden, the question of starvation is not so simple. I don't think we're going to starve to death, but all of a sudden food prices are rising and people might not have the types of food they always assumed they could have. So this is a very, very heavy, frightening scene. And the outcome of the sphere is expressed, and you'll say it. The last part of the preface, Ashra Yishka Fortunate is the man that didn't forget you. You'll hear the Baal will sing like this. I want to give you some of the songs. This was Rav Amital Zechon of Rachas Menach. He'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be like moaning. Ashra Yishka yeah, yeah, Everyone joins, you know, it's like warning. Asher Eish, I wish I wouldn't have forgotten you, Hashem. But I did. As you said, everything else but you, and I have to pay the price, so to speak, or face the realities. And I spent my life trans- pursuing transience, and all of a sudden I forgot things that are important and eternal. Right here, guys, right at this stage, is the transition point. Listen carefully. I'm going to say it as clearly as I can. Anyone from Brooklyn? Oh, no, no one from Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, we used to call this a switcheroo. Switch your room, you make a switch. And at the card table, you switch the cards. Drug dealers. Switch your Rooney. Right here, we're pulling a switch your Rooney on the Rabbana Shalom. Ah! It's a day of memory. Do you remember everything? All human activities? Really? Day of memory. Here, remember this. Remember this. Remember this. 
Remember this. Oh, it's damn memory. We've got a lot of things we ask you to remember, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you remember them, we'll be all right. Those are called the promise. Favorable memories. Memories of our past. Let's read those memories, and we'll see all of a sudden, that's the situation. Remember how memory starts out being very, very scary and ominous. But all of a sudden, memory becomes something very fortuitous and advantageous. And that's what's happening in the cross. And the first memory is shocking, because who do we ask Hashem to remember first? To remember us like you remembered, like the first Pasuk? No. First Pasuk, we think, right away, bada bing, let's talk about Avram, let's talk about Yitzchak, let's talk about Yaakov, right away, first Pasuk, number one, Vayiskara lokim is Noach, Vizkala chaya, Vizkala beimashem, Vizkala why is this Pasuk the first memory in this long list of memories what I could have to think about, to recall? Two answers. Number one, what I said before, Noach wasn't a Jew. Noach was a human being. And there's a universal element to the day that can only be felt by going pre-Judaism, someone who wasn't a Jew, to Noach. Second of all, who else did I could have remember in the Teva? Not just Noach, but look at the Pasuk. The animals. That's the real reason we call it the Pasuk. The Rav would always write and always say that the real secret of the Shofar is, complicated idea, I'll try to express it quickly, is divesting the human voice in favor of a bestial cry. If you think as a human, with all your convention and all your sophistication and all your fancy speak and all your tongue, which is what makes the human a human, you can actually hope to secure your interests in Rosh Hashanah, you're wrong. The only hope you have is to recognize it as a human being, your failure, and all the gifts that Kaddish Baruch Hu gave you haven't really been marshaled properly. But you know what? Save me like a beast. Kaddish Baruch Hu, I'm your creature. Kaddish Baruch Hu, I'm your child. You feed animals. You feed bears. You feed cockroaches. You feed fish. You feed the teeming life of this world. Count me in. And you're moaning and crying with the shofar to have a subhuman bestial cry. That's how the rabbis looked at shofar. And there are a lot of halachos that Rav would quote that are necessary to make sure the shofar is an animal cry, not a French horn, not musical instruments. The beautiful medrash, which when I speak to girls about it, they really lock into. And something that none of you nor I will ever fully understand. That Chana, after years and years of frustration and mortification and embarrassment and anger... And shame, and she keeps coming back with hopes and expectations, and Davin never gets through. What's her breakthrough year? As I'll tell us what was her real thoughts during a tefillah, she says, I could have okay, I realize I don't deserve anything I'm asking for. Just cockroaches and insects of children, just treat me like a cut. Just treat me like an insect. I don't want anything more. Just treat some medrash on Shemuel. Just treat me like an insect. And the most powerful tefillah is the tefillah built on inadequacy, not tefillah built on expectations. And I don't deserve what I'm asking for. Ma'anu, ma'chayenu, ma'tzitkenu, ma'yashinu, because until then you're just lying to yourself and lying to Hashem with all your expectation and convention and, 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 and surfeit. And, no, I don't deserve it, but I'm an animal, I'm a creature. Take care of your animals, take care. That's, that's the real takeaway from this Pasuk Enoch. Stinking, sweating animals, 12 months in a box. Hashem had Rahmanas on them and the people who were walking by them. Here's Brahma have similar Rahmanas on me. That's the first memory. So you remember them, remember me. Second memory, Pasik number two. Does anyone know where this Pasik is written? In what historical context in the Torah? What? This Shmaut. This is the first time that the Brit Avot is being put into play. First time, you see that Mitzrayim. This is the first time in Yitzhak Mitzrayim that a Kaddish Baruch remembers his brief. The Dabra, the Yitzhak, the Yaakov. I spoke to the boys in my shirt this morning. It's really important to know the difference between a Schut Avot and a Brit Avot. Schut Avot are merits based on their behavior. They can expire. The Gemara and Shabbos says that they did expire. Or at the very least, they may not be applicable for people that don't live lifestyles comparable to the others. But a Brit Avot is a covenant. A covenant is commitment. Marriage is a covenant. Sometimes it's about romance and love. Sometimes it's just about commitment because you can't feel romance 24-7. You're just committed to something. So Kodesh Baruch Hu loves us when we behave and loves us even when we misbehave. And we love Kodesh Baruch Hu when he, so to speak, behaves and he acts in accordance with our expectations. And we also love Hashem when, so to speak, we don't understand why we should be loving him. But we still love because it's a comedy. You don't put yourself out of a comedy. 
Now, 1945, I don't think a person alive can understand why Hashem, again, in human terms, deserves human love. Again, in our terms, we know that there are reasons that we can't perceive, but we have to live as humans. As human beings, we can't understand why, but he loved us through thick and thin, we love him through thick and thin. That, that's what it is. Passion overrides ration. Faith overrides empiricism. So that's the first time Brisavos was implemented. Third Pasuk. Anyone know where this Pasuk is stated? Very good. After we've been sent into Galus, Tal, Hashem says, I will redeem you unilaterally whether you deserve it or not. Tal, what phrase is added to this Pasuk? It doesn't appear in the previous Pasuk. You have the Bris Avram, Bris Yitzchak, Bris Yaakov, but there's one Bris in the third Pasuk that isn't in the second Pasuk. What's that Bris? Haaretz Eskar. Because the first Pasuk, or Pasuk number two, is describing people in Egypt. They don't have the Brit Haaretz. They didn't live in Israel yet. But Pasuk three is describing people who lived in Israel, were exiled from Israel, were being redeemed from the first Galus, the first Telfachan Bechokar, that's the first Galus. So for them, they have not just Brit Avot, Agnes Haken Yaakov, but also Haaretz Eskar. At a convention about a year and a half ago in South Africa, I was asked to debate with the Haredi representative the difference between Haredi approach and Datilumi approach. About 2,000 people were listening. And it wasn't much of a debate because I'm a pretty, pretty big fan of Haredi. He's a pretty big fan of Datilumi. We're just like extolling each other's communities. <laughs> Moderator basically got up to say, he said, wait a second. We didn't, we didn't bring you to South Africa just to have a love fest. You know, get into it, mix it up, you know, beat each other to a pulp. Like, after he forced us a little to express our positions, he said, well, the reason that Haredim don't accept Zionism is divine is because it replaces religion. Anything which replaces religion is idolatrous. We can't accept it. And I said, well, our view is that religion was crumbling under its own weight, and that Kodesh had to invoke some ancient echo within the Jewish heart to retain Jewish people's membership in Judaism, even though they wouldn't be religious, and that's the echo and the whisper of nationalism, people, and land. Again, talk about slippage and the full package. The full package is that you should read this passage, number three, and say, I buy into all of it. I buy into Bris Avram. I buy into Bris Yitzchak. I buy into Bris Yaakov. I buy into Bris Aretz. I'm standing there with the full package. But Hashem knew there'd be people in history that would lose Bris Avos, Bris Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. They wouldn't necessarily behave as Avram behaved, as Yitzchak behaved, as Yaakov behaved. They'd lose Har Sinai. They'd lose Tesvav Nisan. Vav Siva. Shem says, for those people of Haaretz Eskar, you will meet so many people this year who are living that puzzle. I know why I live here. I know why I don't live in some manicured lawn and polished mall somewhere in suburbia where life would be easy. I know why I live here, because life is not meant to be realistic. It's meant to be prophetic. And the harder it is, the more prophetic it obviously is. So I know why I made my choice to set my tent on the hill that I did. With all the hardships that this land conveys. But when I look at a secular Jew, I can't for the life of me imagine why he's still living here. And a lot don't, a lot move. For those that stay and fight and struggle, because I could have Baruch Hu planted in the Jewish genome, in the Jewish genetic composition, a calling to land and people that can exist independent of the ritual call. And he invoked, HaKadosh Baruch Hu invoked that call in the mid-19th century to save millions of Jews who would otherwise be lost they won't be here, they won't be in the army, they won't be the bus drivers, they'd be lost. So it's not idolatrous, it's divine. And that's the machlokas. And when you say this pasuk it's Eskar, you're thinking about yourself, the year that you're in Eretz Yisrael, but you're also thinking about all the people for whom that's all they have, Eretz Eskar. And you're also thinking about a really important chazal, because when it comes to the bris of Avram, v'afas brisi Avram Eskar, v'afas brisi Yitzchak Eskar, Excuse me, SBC, Yaakov Eskar, Avram Eskar, look at the Pasuk. I should look at the Pasuk. The Zacharitis B.C. Yaakov. The Yafas B.C. Avram Eskar. When it talks about Yitzchak, the word Eskar is missing. So the literal reading is when Hashem wants to remember Avram and Yaakov, he has to, hey, who are those people? Let me remember them, again, in our terms. When it comes to Yitzchak, Hashem doesn't have to remember Yitzchak. There's no word Zechira. So Chazal say, why doesn't the word Zechira appear in Yitzchak's case? Chazal say, because his ashes are heaped on the Mizbeach, and Hashem just has one quick glance at Har Maria, and doesn't have to remember his life. He's looking at his ashes as if, because Chazal say, as if he was shechted, as if he was sacrificed. Because he's willing to. How could anyone read this Pasuk and know that Medrash 
in the last 70 years without shaking. If the ashes of one person heaped on a mizbeach can compel Hashem to respond to your tefillah without even thinking once or twice, what is Hashem supposed to do when He looks at the ashes of six million people? Has anyone here been to Maidanik? You will be. Those who travel to Poland. At the end of the trail of a concentration camp, it's still intact, you see this big orb, it's about two stories high, that's filled with human ash. Now when I say this pasuk in Rosh Hashanah, I think about Maidanik. I say, the ashes of one person, wasn't even killed, can force your hand on Rosh Hashanah to have Rahmanas on us. Don't think about Yitzhak, think about six million people's ashes strewn across Europe. Sukkim are alive people. They're organisms. They're living organisms. They change in time. Shema is a pasuk that's changed in time. It has historical meaning that it didn't have 2,000 years ago for Behutra and In 2012, it's a different pasuk. This pasuk is a different pasuk than it used to be. Because history changes Sukkim. Tara isn't in a vacuum. It's not autistic. It's part of life. And life affects Tara, and Tara affects life. And these are the memories we're asking Hashem to think about. Think about that. Such a fearful day, and it is. But we exploit the memory factor to our advantage. This is what we want you to remember. And then, there are two psukim. I'm going to skip four, five, and six, because they're relatively simpler. Talking about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, number five, I'll just say quickly, number four, Zecher Asal Aniflosav. That's a abstract reference to Yom Tov. Hashem gives us days of Yom Tov to remember His Niflos. That for us, Yom Tovim, allow history to be real and current. Napoleon, when he saw the Jewish people, Echveis eating matzah or sitting Tishabah, I forget which one, he said, this is a people that can't be defeated. Some story like that. But the story probably repeats itself. For us, they're not just ancient relics, but they're living moments which we identify with, we live, we apply. Zecher Asal Niflosov. That's Pesach. That's Sukkot. That's uh, Shavuos. Five and six, more generic. There are subtle meanings, but I'm, I'm running out of time. Because I want to tell you about seven, eight, and nine. Listen very carefully. I don't know if you've ever heard this slant, but it's a really important slant. Until now, the basic gist has been, the basic thrust, it's a day of memory. Here are those images we'd like you to remember. The image of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, the image of Noach and the Teva, the image of Eretz Yisrael, the image of Mitzrayim, the Yom Tovim we keep to remember Mitzrayim. All of a sudden, Sukkim 7, 8, and 9, please understand, please listen. We're basically saying, Hashem HaKadosh Baruch we don't want you to remember anything. Stop remembering anything. Just love us. Just be our husband. Just be our father. Just be our friend. That goes beyond memory. It's like the parts before, like legalese. Remember this, remember this, this is what Yeruni I talked to you about. Remember this, remember this. At a certain point, you want a friend, you want a lover, you want a parent, you want people to love you beyond deservedness and what we went through. When you're sitting, you're asking someone to love you because you had that shared experience, because you're just so tight emotionally. These are psukim of passion and poetry, not of memory and scenes of our past. These are psukim that are taken from, you should, I take it from Yirmi, about the love we felt with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the past. These are psukim that are reminiscent of Shir Hashirim. They're not in Shir Hashirim, but they're reminiscent. We're saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's something beyond memory that we ask you. Rosh Hashanah is not just about walking out with an acquittal. It's about getting that closeness and restoring that relationship that has frayed, that has been broken down with the ravages of the year. And these are the psukim. This is what makes Rosh Hashanah. This is beyond memory. Source number seven. Ka'amar Hashem. Zacharti l'chesed nirayich. Avas l'osayich. I remember you were my bride. You were my first love. You don't get past your first love. It remains within you if it's a real love. Chesed nirayich. So we may have strayed. Martin Sanhedrin says the Dara Midbar loses their share in the next world. Because of all of their chatayim, the egel, the maragam, everything, karach. That's the mission in Sanhedrin. And Rav says, no. Even they get a share in the world to come. How? Quotes this pasuk. They were sinners. They were terrible. They were rebels. Repeat offenders. Could you imagine? Egel, Maraglim, Korach, Misalim, one after the other. I just can't. I love them too much. They follow me into the desert. 
They love me. I can't get past that. And the next part, so we ask the Kaddish Baruch not only to be, to be our, our, our father, not only to be our husband, Pasuk 9, Haben, my son, be our father, love me like a child, let me just be your child, Yakir Lee. Another nickname of Jewish people, Yakir. May no people name Yakir, Yakir, Haben, Yakir Lee, Ephraim, another nickname of love, Ephraim, Haben, Yakir, all these nicknames. Im Yalad Shashuim. Every single one of you knows what a Yalad Shashuim is. A Yalad Shashuim means a toy. A toy who's a boy or a girl. There's always one kid in every family, but the father, the mother, or the, particularly the father, I'll just do it on time. Just goes over and punches him and hits him and pulls his hair and pulls his ears. I, mean, I got one in my family. I used to have one. I was older. I can't do it. I have a younger one. It's like, you know, I'm bored. So I'll hit him around a little bit, punch him, hit him. That's a yellow shashun, you know, like pushing him around. And he loves it. Like my little doggy. <laughs> Well, you're yelling shashur, you're punching bag, you're telling tickle us, you know, and tepper us, pinch your cheeks, you know, look your nose, oh, you got a fly rope here. You can't help it, you're yelling shashurim. You can't leave your hands off us. That's what I want to be, may I humble love. Like when you say that person's name, your whole kishkes, you may maybe miss a lot of your siblings. There's one sibling you really miss, and you see that picture of this little, uh, you wish you could be with them. That's a totally different mindset than the previous psukim. Remember this, remember, I'm not in any way trivializing those. Remember this, remember this. But I want you to see the shift. <laughs> we don't deserve it. You love us. We want to love us. Forget it. Forget anything. Forget shofar. Just, let's be together. Let's say love. Let's run away from all this mess. Just go, go away. A certain point of Yom Kippur. I think the most mature state you can reach Yom Kippur is when you're so interested in our Kaddish Baruch Hu that it goes beyond life and death. I don't care. Live, die. It's not my interest. It's another 80 years, another 90 years. That's really what's important in the sweep of history and sweep of eternity. So I want to be with you. You decide our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Should I be on this earth or that earth? You tell me where you want to be, here or there. That's pocket change. The important thing is I want to be with you. And I can't be with you. I'm trying to. That's just the most... I forget. This is it. That's it. I just, let's just go. I'm, I'm terrible. I, I let you down. Sometimes I had expectations of you. Let's just get past them. Let's just go on. And love is that when strong relationships, just move on from hurt. And say, okay, now let's go over every little detail. What did you say? What did I say? But remember, I said this, but you said this. And I have this merit, and I, got the, and I made a good show. Okay, don't move on. Overlook little petty things. That's what these sick are meant to convey. And then Zichronos ends with the biggie, of course, it's no Pasuk, but Zichronos ends with the image of Yitzchak and Akedas Yitzchak. Ken yichbushu rechamecha, eskascha me'olenu, v'tuvcha agado yashevcha onabcha me'yircha, we mentioned Akedas Yitzchak, and then the tenth Pasuk, I should have actually mentioned this earlier, is bris v'shonim, asher otseisio samir etzmesai, and the covenant Hashem made with the people who left. Hashem evidently made a covenant, which we don't really see in the Torah, but which this is a reference to, it's in B'chukosai, Hashem made a covenant with the Avos, and he made a covenant with the people as they marched out of Egypt to be each other's people and God. To be God and people. A covenant. And that's the last Pasuk. And then the Bracha ends, Baruch Hashem, Zacher Habris. Remember the bris of Amitzvahim. And they blow the shofar. And when the shofar blows, especially after these Pesukim, here are, it's the material to think about. Think about Noah. Think about Yitzchak, obviously, in that cave, which is the direct reference to the sound of the ram. Think about Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. Think about the bris of Eretz Yisrael. Think about bris Rishonim. Think about them tell from better memories. Think about, of course, the big shofar blowing in heaven, which beckons the day of judgment. And then think about this, these psukim, which we want to finish Baruch Hu, to, to be there as our lover, as our father, and we just want to be with him. In five, seven minutes, I'll just try to share with you what shofar means, because it's not that long, but it's important to listen, because otherwise, what does it mean? Shofaras, shofaras. What, what am I adding to shofaras by reciting shokim with shofaras? It doesn't mean anything. Shofaras means two things. Primarily, there are six psukim that reflect the fact that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shechina comes, when there's revelation, that is hearkened that is launched. Revelation is launched by the sound of the shofar. Revelation is launched by the shofar. And the first three psukim talk about the first time 
that Hashem revealed Himself at a mass level, and it was launched by the shofar. What was the first time Hashem revealed at a mass level, launched by the shofar? Parsinai. So the first sleep sukkah and very good are taken from Parshas Yisro. All taken from Parshas Yisro. Um, I'm just trying to check for you. Um, where's my shofaris? Here. Um, they're all taken from Yisro. Okay, there's a little bit of Shavuos in Rosh Hashanah. More than a little bit. Because Rosh Hashanah is the day the material world was created. But the world was lying in suspended animation because if people hadn't accepted Hashem's world, the world would have collapsed. There's no, there's no, the world isn't just physical. Everything has a spiritual substrate. Nothing is just physical. Kabbalah studies the spiritual substrate. We don't study Kabbalah and we lock ourselves into a material world and we sometimes become too materialistic. And I don't mean that in the moral sense, I mean that in the existential sense. Too concrete, too empirical, too cold and rational. And when able to say, well, there are things that affect your life and that drive your reality you can't see. Don't use your eyes as the sole arbiter of truth. Use imagination, use your heart, use perceived truth, uh, accept the truth, deliver can't just say, what I see, I want to... That's how we're trained. We're trained to be scientific. We're trained to accept only that which we can prove. And that's where religion really suffers. We try to bring those terminologies and those modalities over to religion. Those modalities will fail. You can't prove things. You just have to accept certain things as articles of faith. So, Rosh Hashanah was when the world was created. Shavuos was when the world was created. That's why Shavuos was a day of rain and torrential rain and hurricanes and tornadoes and tannicalisms. You read about in Shoftim and Shiraz Devorah and Tehillim. Because the world was being born. Spiritually, the world was convulsing. Because it was finally being solidified. It was finally being congealed. Because people now accepted Hashem's will. So, Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah are not just incidental. Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah are joined integrally. So that's why I should have said beforehand, the preface to Shofaros is a description of Harsinai. And, and, and unless you understand it, it's very surprising. The preface to Shofaros, you appear to a Clouds of glory. You let your voice be heard. I'm not going to read all of that. This is simply a description of Harsinai. You say it every year. Why are we talking about Harsinai on Rosh Hashanah? Because the shofar hearkens Gilashina, as it did at Harsinai, as it does every year on Rosh Hashanah. And you guessed it, as it will, the next point in Mass Revelation will be the next moment in Mass Revelation. So the last three psukim, Pasuk 8, 9, and 10, are all about the big shofar blowing when Mashiach comes. Being the most famous one, that's Pasuk number 9, but 10 and 8 are also the big shofar. One day you'll wake up in, just look at you, Judah, icon, in Silver Spring, in Pentatikva, in Tinek, in Nuzi, wherever you'll be, You'll hear this thunderous roar piercing the heavens. This huge sound of a chauffeur, like, you know, thunder fulminating in the heavens. And my advice is get to an El Al office as quickly as you can. Because the prices for seats are going to go way up and it'll be a real rush on the flight. You want to be there as quickly as possible. Of course, if you're alive. If you're dead, then you just have to tunnel your way you know, through those little underground tunnels that will be quickly, quickly forming all over the place. But it's going to happen. The loud thunder, Yitakab Shofar Gadol, Uvao Dim Eretz Ashurvin, Yedichem Eretz Mitzrayim, and it will return. The middle psukim, the middle three, more or less, and this uh, I'll end with this, I'll just be really one or two extra minutes, not so much more, is also really important. Rosh Hashanah is a schizophrenic day. And it's meant to be schizophrenic. Namely, it's a day of fear and dread and gravitas and serious and humility and overwhelming and being broken down and reduced to nothing and manu machayenu kachalom ya'of kitzel over like a passing dream and fading shadow man is nothing and that's why the Rub said the shofar literally divests us of our humanity of our pretension and our convention and our artifice not of our humanity but oh. I'm such a big talker. I'm such a big singer. I'm so great as a human being. Yeah, bring that to your tefillahs and see where that gets you. Just take it all off. Don't have any pretense. Don't have any ego. Don't have any vanity. Don't feel so artistic and so successful. Just cry to Hashem. Maybe He'll save you. You're going to say it tomorrow in Slichos. Okay? The Pismon is going to start with the word every stanza. Ulai yachosam anivivyom. Ulai yirachem. Ulai, ulai. No givens in Shuvah. No one's promising anyone any responses. Maybe, maybe, maybe Hashem will have Rahmanas. Maybe he'll help us. One big maybe. One big question mark. One big uncertainty. But on the other hand, it's a day of Malchus. It's a day of glory. 
They're majesties. They're splendor. They're beauty. And especially for you, if you really live this and love this, this is your day. How can you not dress in the best clothing? How can you not eat the best meat and drink the best wine? And be proud and beam and shine. This is the day that your melech is here. This is what you wait for. This is what you live for. This is what you struggle for. And it's happening in front of your very eyes. And you're the only one who knows it. And it's at that juncture that so much of the delicious irony of Rosh Hashanah lies and a lot of the conflict. For example, there was a live conflict which has died down in recent years about whether you should fast in Rosh Hashanah. Shukhara quotes people whose minute was to fast in Rosh Hashanah. Why not? It's Yom Adin. How could you eat? How could you sit there in trivial, jovial, light-hearted meals? And more or less that fell out of popularity. There's still people who fast in Rosh Hashanah. There's a famous Yushalmi that unlike other people who when they go to a verdict they come with black clothing and long nails and fear and dread, we sit there triumphant, we march in, confident, we have Shosavos, we have Yitzchak, we have Yaakov. And if you don't have one, the other will suffer. If you don't feel the gravitas and the weight of the day, then you won't feel the pride in your unique role in the day. I don't feel pride that this is a special day for me. This is Chafez Elul today. It's like special like any other day. But if it's a day that's so overwhelming and so cosmic, and I let my mind race as far as I can on Rosh Hashanah, to the far reaches of my universe, as far as my mind can imagine, millions of light years away, it's Rosh Hashanah. Millions of planets away, it's Rosh Hashanah. Things I can only imagine in my mind, space I can only dream of, it's Rosh Hashanah. But it's all, and look at my hands, this is what I think, you'll have your own. It all comes, it all comes focusing on me. That entire vortex, an entire energy field of Rosh Hashanah is all coming on me. It's an incredible feeling of pride, of godless. And you walk around beaming. And that's why the shofar is not just, and that's the irony that Rav spoke about, not just the divesting of the human voice, but it's also beautiful sound and singing and art. It's not just the bestial cry, it's also a French horn. And some of the tzukim here, because we want to celebrate Hashem. There are yeshivas in Israel, not the Americanized yeshivas, but there are hardcore Israeli yeshivas. You can walk in there on Rosh Hashanah and it looks like Simchistar. They're dancing and singing and people on each other's shoulders like hakafas. It's not my style, because I feel I have to really be careful and, and you guys really, really be careful in Rosh Hashanah. It's not Yom Kippur, not a day of silence, but it's also not a day for card games or, 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 or other light-headed. It's a day, you daven, Talk to people, be nice, enjoy each other. Dominica is not to sleep on Rosh Hashanah. Um, Dominica varies. You want to make sure you get your sleep before. And obviously, if you can just do, you know, meaningless things, so then go to sleep and get your strength for the next day. But it's really, really not a day to do anything but healthy, productive, focused. Now, focus doesn't mean penitential and pietudinal and pulling on your pails and pulling your sisters and crying a thousand tears. It's just, you know, healthy meals and healthy people. And But certainly not the types of activities which we seen as wasting time or, or joking or suddenly sarcastic or bitter or things like that. That is that, you know, if uh, sometimes there are girls who come here, Rosh Hashanah, if they're being hosted in the community, that's certainly not a time for flirting and, you know, you want to say, hello, you want to talk to them. And I, anything that would, I, I tried to talk to my shir the other day about what flirting means. Flirting doesn't mean you, you know, you, you blink your eyelashes like a peacock. Flirting means you take activity in the presence of girls to impress them that you wouldn't otherwise take and that oftentimes come at other people's expense. So you're just sarcastic about the guy. You want to put him down so you look better. You want to look more cool. And was, right when you're with your friends, you know, you act normal. You're not really, you know, looking to impress the guy next to you. You don't want him to look at you. You know, I hope not. Right? It's not really your interest. So when you're with girls, if you're treating them like, you know, like you would with boys, more or less, you're talking, you're schmoozing. That's not flirting. The second you start positioning yourself and thinking, and what are you thinking of me? What am I doing? And you get, which is healthy. One day, you will flirt with a girl to impress her so that she becomes your wife and you become her husband. That's healthy behavior, but not when you're not looking to get married or certainly not. Or, anyway, that's not the purpose of the year. <laughs> okay. Source number seven. Source number seven. Hallelujah, 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 Shofar, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Shamah, Shofar, Truah, Shamah, is part of what? What's the key word here, Rabbi Liptak fans? Hallel, singing, dancing, enjoying, celebrating. Here the shofar is not this terrified cry, help me, help me. It's beautiful singing, Takarish Barcho. We'll say that parakeet to Hillel Memzayin seven times. Zamru Elokim Zameru. 
sings Niros, Zamru Lamokinu Zameru, Kinelach Kolaritz Elukin, Zamru Maskil, you're a Maskil, you understand what this day is. Of course you're going to sing and not dance actively, but just feel that pride. And that's what these Pesukim in the Shafar are meant to evoke, as well as the last Pasuk in the suffix, where we quote the Pasuk of blowing the Shofar, over Yom Simchatchem, line 5 of the suffix, of Moadechem, of Rashi Chachechem, the days of Yantav, when you celebrate, Utkatem Bechatzasot, Alalosechem, Mazitcheshamechem, you blow the Shofar during the Karman, Baruch Hashem, Shomea called to us in Moadechem. So when you think of Shofaros, think about these two ideas. One is Kilishchina. Think about Harsinai. Close your eyes and imagine standing in Harsinai hearing that shofar. Close your eyes and imagine after sitting up and hearing that shofar. Close your eyes and imagine standing in the Mason Victor celebrating with millions of Jews over these korbanos. And think about that. That's really the takeaway. The real takeaway is a successful Rosh Hashanah is literally threading the needle between those two feelings. Leave your artifice at home. Leave your presumptions at home. Come with fear. Come with humility. Come with inadequacy. But don't let it turn into a day of mourning or Vida. We don't say Vida in Rosh Hashanah. It's a day of empowerment. I find very, I feel very empowered. Not powerful, but empowered. And a part of something that empowers me to live through this day. And I can only reach one through the other. If you don't feel the inadequacy, you won't feel the empowerment. You don't feel the empowerment, you don't feel the inadequacy. It feeds each other. Like every good irony, every good dilemma, they cross-pollinate each other. Okay? Stop here. Sorry about that.